So this morning, I wonder how we might look around at those who have chosen to remain in this community with us on this journey ahead and see each other differently. We are in the fifth week of our five-week series I've been meaning to ask. This is a series about asking some questions that we've been holding on to for a while. Uh, today's question is, where do we go from here? It's a good one to end this series with, of course, but also as we move into the end of summer, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and into the fall and the school year, it feels like a new start this time of year for many of us, even more so than the actual turning over of a calendar year. Sometimes September feels like a newer start than January. Maybe that's because, you know, January in Minnesota. But I was thrilled to see on the list of suggested texts to go along with this question. We had a few to choose from each week. Um, and I was thrilled to see Ruth on this. Uh, it is one of my favorite books of the Bible, second maybe only to Jonah. Some of you know how excited I get about Jonah. We can talk about that another time. Um, but it is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I love the story of Ruth. And the first chapter of Ruth in front of us is a doozy. So many things happen in such a short amount of time. To understand the weight of all that is behind and underneath this first chapter, it's very helpful to go into the background of the relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites. So, too long, didn't read. It's not good, okay? It's not good. We'll start there. But why, all right? The Moabites are a tribe of ancient Near East. They're relative of Israel. Way back in Israel's history, when they were escaping slavery in Egypt, they were on the lookout on their way out for help and hospitality, and the Moabites basically said, no, thank you. They shut their doors figuratively, and literally to the people of God. And those people of God, from that moment on, became, the Israelites consider the Moabites an enemy of Israel. There are even rules about this written into Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy 23, it says, no Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even the 10th generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way as you came out of Egypt. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. In the law, that's in the law. Even the great prophet Isaiah wrote about the Moabites in less than flattering terms. In Isaiah 16, he says, we have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance, her conceit, her pride, and her insolence. May God deal harshly with Moab. Yikes, right? Yikes. So the relationship between Israel and Moab, you know, not great, not great. And you need to know this to understand some of the context in the way this story begins. The book of Ruth kind of surprisingly actually begins not with Ruth, but with Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. They are living in Israel and there is a famine. And the famine is so bad that they have to leave their usually plentiful promised land of Israel for Moab. So that's how bad you know the famine is when they have to leave Israel for Moab, the place they're not supposed to be friends with or worship with or hang out with in any way. 
They went to Moab. It's a big deal. People listening to this book are gasping as they hear this story. So Elimelech and Naomi have two sons, Malan and Kilian. Not too long after settling in Moab, Elimelech dies. This is devastating. He is the patriarch of their family. Anyone who has lost a spouse or a parent knows this particular pain. But with two sons, Naomi will not be left destitute. The system is built to help her and keep her and her sons safe. So while they're there in Moab, Malan and Kilian marry two Moabite women. Gasp, another gasp. And the story says they stay there for 10 years. So now they've, this isn't a quick trip, they've settled. They've settled in Moab. Then, although the exact timeline here is unclear, both Malan and Killian also die. They, these are passing sentences in this story, but there is an incredible amount of loss and devastation built in to this start. Devastating grief and loss, enough on its own, truly. But culturally, for three widows now, this is particularly bad. Now they have no protection, no help, no one to care for them. The system is not set up to help them or keep them safe. So Naomi decides, even after more than 10 years away from home in Moab, to return home. She has heard that the famine is over. Her husband and sons have all died. What else could she do? Her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth plan to go with her. Fun side note, Oprah was supposed to be named Orpah, but they spelled her name wrong on the birth certificate, and now they call her Oprah forever. Fantastic. So just remember this, that you will call Orpah Oprah in your head all the time because Oprah is a familiar name, and that is correct. You are right. When you do that in your head, you're already correct. So just a fun side fact there for you. Orpah, Oprah. You can mix it up, and you're right. So Naomi tells the women, no, no, go back to your homes. You are still young. You can marry again. You can marry Moabites. You can marry people of your own country. And neither woman wants to leave her. They are crying as they beg to leave. Do you notice how many times they said the word weeping? They were weeping as they did this in this text. They have been together for 10 years at the very least. There is love and grief all mixed up in their crying here. But eventually, Orpah goes home. Ruth does not. She, in the most well-known set of verses from this book of Ruth, pledges her loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi, not leaving her to an unknown fate. She says, don't keep urging me to abandon you, to turn back from following you. Where I go, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. What a speech, right? It's so beautiful. And what else can Naomi say after that but, okay, I guess come along, right? And together, Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. And I think it's very important to just pause for a quick second here to remember that Naomi is carrying not only the burden of grief, but also the burden of bringing a Moabite back to Bethlehem with her. There are laws against being kind to Moabites. This is a big deal. 
What kind of danger might this bring them? What chances would they realistically have with this scenario? It's a lot for Naomi to carry with her on this journey. In the final verses of this first chapter of Ruth, our two main characters, Ruth and Naomi, are depicted very differently as they arrive. Ruth is shown as loyal, loving, steadfast. Naomi is bitter, angry at God, and not okay. Rightfully so, I'd say. Naomi's whole world has crumbled. She is standing in the midst of the rubble and asking one question. Now what? What do I do next? What do you do when there is nothing left of the life you thought you would have? That is the question Naomi is asking. How do I possibly start over? Where do we go from here? I think we can learn so much from the story of Ruth. I think how everyone responds in a moment like this does help us to answer the question in front of us today, how these characters in this story respond to the rubble of their lives can help us answer this question. Where do we go from here? It is not news that a lot of our institutions have taken a beating over the past couple of years. Political, structural, cultural, strife, division, an increase in social media connection, a global pandemic have all played a role in how our institutions work and don't work in the world. The church is one such institution that has struggled. These struggles are not unique to this particular church, but our particular church has struggled. Like Orpa, some people have left. They've gone to other places to start over. I understand this. I'm not mad about it, and I don't think it means something's wrong with us. Like Naomi, some people are deeply in painful grief, angry and bitter at the way things have turned out. I also understand this. Broken expectations and disappointed hopes are so very, very painful. And like Ruth, there are some people who have chosen to stick with it, even when it doesn't make sense to literally anyone else. As we all stand in the rubble of the way things used to be, here and in our world, as we look around and see nothing remotely like the life we thought we'd have at this moment, we too ask questions similar to Naomi. What now? What next? Where do we go from here? The more time I spend in the story, which I've done kind of a lot, I've been leading a Bible study on this um, for another group, and uh, I've spent a lot of time in the book of Ruth recently. The more I realize the power of this story does not come from the question, now what, but actually from a question that's more deeply embedded in it, which is, who will go with me? I wonder if we can learn more, not from the individual responses of Ruth and Naomi and their grief and challenges, but how they choose to do whatever comes next together. Ruth and Naomi make a choice to stay together. And when you continue on in this story, you see that together they do more than they ever could have done alone. 
Over and over this summer, through listening sessions, through Pastor Jenny's phone calls, we heard a common thread around people's need to be seen and known and connected and how this place holds community as a high value. So this morning, I wonder how we might look around at those who have chosen to remain in this community with us on this journey ahead and see each other differently. I wonder if we could see each other as companions and not competitors. I wonder if we could see each other as co-creators and not co-conspirators, as contributors and not consumers. I wonder how we might work to see the best in each other and build something together from what remains. Where do we go from here? I mean, obviously I have some ideas. And this is just a start, but here I'll start us off, all right? No more apologies. The number one thing we hear on these phone calls and when people come is, I'm so sorry it's been so long since I've been to church. Number one thing, I would like this to die a very quick and painless death. Just let it die right now. Everybody let it die. No more apologies. You come when you can, you are ours forever. No more stirring the pot. No more triangulation. See this? This is communication. It's not in a triangle. Communication should be like this, straight line, person to person, right? If you have a conflict at church, you have a conflict in your family, you have a conflict in your life, you take it to the person in question, not your buddy, not your best friend, not your small group. Jesus talked a lot, a lot about this. And we can do it better, me included, absolutely. Whatever it is we do next, we do it together. We do it together, not always agreeing 100%, but trusting each other, assuming the best in each other and not the worst, asking questions, staying curious, looking out for each other because we are on the same team. Team POP, it's a good one. I like it here. I don't think it's incorrect in today's story to say that Naomi did not want Ruth to stay. I don't think she did. She tried really hard to get Ruth to stay behind. I think Ruth being with her probably made things more difficult for Naomi than they needed to be. But they stayed together against a lot of odds, in the midst of a lot of pain and grief and change and disruption, and I think we can do it too. This question, where do we go from here, is not the end, even though it's the end of our series, but it's not the end, it is the beginning. It is the start of whatever comes next. Being curious is the start of what comes next, and God is in it with us. Every time we gather, we can feel God's presence in this place. We get to do this, and we get to do this together, and we keep bringing more fun people into it with us, right? We're gathering around the font this morning to bring more people into this beautiful family of God. Last week, Pastor Jenny reminded us that we need each other and we need God, and to that, it was the perfect setup for today's question in front of us. Where 
do we go next? Where do we go from here? And honestly, the sky is the limit. And the good news is that we go together. And God goes with us. We stopped at the end of chapter one this morning, but the story of Ruth and Naomi continues on for three more chapters. Ruth meets Boaz, they get married, they have a baby. His name is Obed. He is the great-grandfather of David, who is the lineage of Jesus. Funny story, Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabite, not supposed to be included in church, not supposed to be kind, in the lineage of Jesus. It's not a mistake this story is here. It's not a mistake that doing things together changes the way it's done. When we all come together, beautiful things happen. The story of these two women, God's promises flow from two ordinary widows into the whole of Israel, from David into Jesus, and then through Jesus to us. This story in its entirety moves from loss and famine and devastation to new life. It is a reminder right in front of us that God's story continues to unfold every day, every minute. And the momentum of God's story is always towards abundance and life. And for that, we are so thankful to do it together. Amen. Oh, I love the last line of that hymn that says that God's name we now bear, that name is beloved. You bear the name of God on you. We just watched it happen. Quinn bears the name beloved on her. It doesn't wash off, it doesn't erase. Struggle, doubt, loss, grief doesn't get rid of it. You are beloved, you are beloved, you are beloved. So if you need a reminder of that same grace that incites us with another great line from that hymn, come forward before you leave, put a cross on your head, bring someone with you, put a cross on their head, and remind them that they are a beloved child of God. And then we do what we do, which is go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.